going to start with a prayer. These are not my words. These are the words of uh, Pastor Ray Stedman, a famous pastor from California from a number of decades ago. Um, but he prayed this relative to this passage of Scripture, and I want this to be our prayer as we turn to it as well. Let us pray. Our Father, this is a solemn passage we have looked at together. But we thank you for the truth which dares to speak even though it offends. We thank you, Lord, for the love which tells us the truth even though it hurts. Keep us from the utter folly of taking these words and rationalizing them in some foolish manipulation that destroys their meaning. Give us the grace to be honest with you, to look at ourselves earnestly and honestly and to ask ourselves where we stand, and by your grace, Lord, to lay hold of this marvelous way of deliverance, to yield, to yield our whole selves into the control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We're talking tonight about perseverance. Uh, perseverance, uh, the, the longer something grinds on and goes on, the, the more that despair can creep in. Uh, the, the, the drawn out things. Most people can weather a crisis, a short term thing, and uh, no problem. But when difficulty stretches into more of a chronic condition, um, it can really wear us down and tear us down. And so just look at this, the, the COVID situation we're in. It's um, when all this started to drag on, um, you know, people were saying, hey, this, there's going to be some long-term impacts from this, things that we may not see right now. And for me, the thing that I've been most concerned with recently is not the health crisis, but the mental health crisis that we're seeing. And you just pick up the newspaper. So uh, today's, today's Eagle Tribune, this morning, I got, got up, look at the paper, and it, the headline on the front page was that opioid deaths are up in Massachusetts. And I read the article, overdose deaths, and, and I read the article, and the number wasn't, um, as a percentage, up dramatically, but what was dramatic is that since 2016, at kind of the hype, height of this epidemic and all overdose deaths. The number each year has been going down, 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 and now it's up. And uh, the good work that's been done and some of the good intervention and resources, um, a lot of those things are not available to people right now. So that's up. Last week, uh, Boston 25 News report, uh, the demand for mental health counseling is up. Um, many people are experiencing extreme burnout. And there was they were interviewing this one person who runs a mental health center, a counseling center on Cape Cod, and they said they have 100 people on their waiting list to get counseling services. They said, call now, get on the list, because it's going to be months before you actually talk to a counselor. Uh, Boston Globe article last week, and it was, I saw this published a number of places, but um, it was a report from Mass General Hospital that shows young adults between ages 18 and 24 that the... Um, the higher they're, they're experiencing higher rates of major depressive symptoms from as mild as uh, sleep loss and sleep patterns being broken up all the way to depression, anxiety, thoughts of self-harm and suicide. And the numbers were alarming. Those numbers, those percentages were way up. And you can just, pit, you can just look through the news and see this kind of thing. The, the, 
what this underscores for me, and it's the same principle, is that is about perseverance. That we so desperately need perseverance in life to, to weather long storms. And in our faith, we need perseverance to, to journey this journey of faith. It's a necessary part of it. When we talk about perseverance, especially in light of the sermon series, we've been calling this you know, finding true rest. It's about finding true rest for the long haul. It's about remaining uh, grounded and rooted in the love of Christ. And so we come here to Hebrews chapter 10. And in a lot of ways, this is the climax of everything that's been uh, taught so far in this letter. And remember, it starts off talking about how Jesus is supreme and Jesus is superior to everything that went before. And then Jesus, uh, in his role as a great high priest, he is the greatest high priest who offers the ultimate sacrifice once for all for sin. And all, all of this is, as we looked at last week, as Pastor Dan said, is enough. It's enough to forgive you. It's enough to, to satisfy all of God's righteous requirements on your behalf. It's enough to forgive you. And he said, it's more than enough. It's, it's more than we ever... God wants so much more than just to forgive us. He is, he's forgiving us, yes, but he's bringing us towards holiness. He's giving us a new heart for his way. And then it comes to this passage therefore, this is what we're going to do. We're going to draw near to God. We are going to do everything to, to, to pursue that relationship with God. And it is going to, um, it's going to give us that perseverance. And this passage is really a call to perseverance in three parts. Hold, heed, and hope. And the, the H is it's just a defect that, pastors do we just I just can't sometimes we just can't not so hold the faith heed the warning and hope for the future so first hold the faith we see this in verse 23 and following it says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful let us consider how we might spur one another on toward loving good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, as you see the day of the Lord, um, is, is the more that we go through time, the closer and closer we are to his return. Hold, hold, hold to that faith you profess. Do not forget what you believe. Do not forget what Jesus did for you. That, that you need to hold it unswervingly. I love that translation. It really real accurate. Uh, hold it without wavering in any way. Hold firm to that faith. Um, the faith that you profess. And then spur, when you hold on to that, you're also going to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, we're going to spur one another. That's really uh, typically a negative word. Even spur in the literal sense is, is sort of a, it's provoking to action, but provoking in a kind of a harsh way almost. And in, in, in the original language, same thing. It's a uh, irritate, <laughs> irritate one another so much that you do good deeds. Prod. Spur, poke, like the, our membership uh, process. <laughs> this is what we do. Encourage one another. And then, and then he says, don't neglect meeting together. And this one's heartbreaking. Because we have people who can't meet with us face to face. And it's been so hard, and we're feeling it. 
Um, you know, faith, hope. You think about these virtues, faith, hope, and love. You know, faith I can do by myself. Hope I can do by myself. But love I can't. I have to be with other people. I have to be in community. I have to be in fellowship with them. And that's been more challenging. It's not that we can't have fellowship over distances, over phone calls, over Zoom meetings. But it's, it is hard. Um, there's no secret. You can't live in, as an isolated secret disciple. One, um, one person said it this way. said, the discipleship kills the secrecy. Or the secrecy will kill the discipleship. But one or the other is going to happen. You can't be in secret and be a disciple. We have to be in fellowship. We have to live it out together. Um, you know, going to worship, it, it, it's, when we gather together as God's people, it says something. And again, another quote. Even if the sermon is poor and the worship is tawdry, the church service still gives us the chance to show the world whose side we're on. So even if the music is bad, (laughs) even if the sermon is less than standard, our gathering in the name of Jesus Christ says something to the world, and we have to do it. We have to do it. And and again, that's why this is so hard. Um, And then encourage one another, encouraging. We live in a world full of discouragers. We live in a world that's very easy to complain, uh, very easy to post your complaints to the world. Um, we need to be the people speaking encouraging words and words of gratitude to one another. So we, we just need to get at it. We need to poke each other say, hey, let's start writing those notes. Let's start making those phone calls, the extra phone calls. Let's really go the extra mile just to say hello and remind people that we do love them and that we are, we're still together even if we're apart and we need to speak those words. So let's get at it. And that's how we're going to hold to the faith that we profess. And as we hold to that faith, we're going to um, meet together and spur one another. We're going to do all these things. So that's the first part of the call to persevere. The second, so that's hold. The second part of the call to persevere is to heed, to heed, heed a warning. And in this letter, as you've read through it, you'll, if, You'll notice, if you string it together, there's a number of warnings that are interspersed throughout the letter. This is probably the harshest and probably the the strongest warning of the letter. Verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then in verse 31 it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is an image of just the sheer horror of sin. And as people who, as people of faith, as we've experienced God's grace, we are so in tune with how forgiven and free we are that we come to passages like this and it's, it would be easier just to kind of skip over them because I don't, it doesn't resonate with me, God's judgment and his wrath and this severe of a way. And actually, we, we, we pick and choose the passages we read and preach. This would actually read really nice and almost seamless without these words. And so editorially, it'd be easy to just push them aside. But this is not a warning just to evil people who never knew God. This says this is for those who have received the knowledge of truth. 
who then go on to sin. So the question it begs, and I don't have a, a lot of time to unpack this fully, but it does beg the question, can I lose my salvation if I sin, if I keep on sinning? And I actually don't believe that this passage is speaking to that question. It's not, it, it begs that question for us. And you're going to discuss this in your small groups next week, and I can't wait to see how you handle this. Um, it, this is just a really interesting passage to discuss in a group. Uh, no, we do not believe that you, we do not teach as a church that you could ever lose your salvation. If you are saved by God's grace, you are so firm and held in God's hand. You cannot lose that. Uh, most people explain this in a way where this is, these are those who have um, come to, in some way, understand the truth of God, but willingly reject it, that they uh, deliberately, continually turn from what they have heard is the truth. Um, Jesus told a parable of, of these different seeds, and um, one falls on the path, and one falls on shallow soil, the other falls in thorns, the other falls good soil. Really, we're talking about these God's word hitting soil that's either too shallow to fully uh, produce a crop or just gets choked out by the thorns around it. Really, Jesus described this kind of a, uh, a path. But I don't want to try to put these words into a nice, neat theological category. I just want to hear God's word in its context. So our author here has said, you need to hold to your faith, and you need to keep meeting together and spur one another on. And now, he said, but if you're going to not do that, you're going to deliberately sin, which means you are, you are withdrawing from the people of God. You are not gathering, and you are not holding your faith. You are letting go of this faith in Jesus. You are denying it. You are becoming apostate, as we would say, um, and, and, and deliberately doing this. Not just a one-time thing. There's a continuous sense of this. So this kind of a, a sin is, is deliberately not entering into God's rest. Living for one's self. Refusing to... The claim of Jesus on the life of the believer is lordship. And saying, no, I don't want that lordship. And we take a look at verse 28. If we can get that up there. It says... This is how this is described. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You know, not only are you breaking the law, but you're trampling on what Christ did for you. And you're calling his blood something unholy, his his. When you do that, you take the only thing that's your hope. That's the only hope that you have. There's no more sacrifice left. There is no hope if you reject the one hope of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. William Barclay, um, New Testament scholar, said, Sin is not just disobedience to an impersonal law. It is the wrecking of a personal relationship and the wounding of the heart of God whose name is Father. This is, this is the God of love who gave everything for this individual and then deliberate sin just continues to flow. And, and here it's like, hey, there's, there's nothing left for you if that's the direction you go. 
It's going to lead to misery, fear, and punishment. Bill Bright, the, the, he was a, uh, the president of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ many years ago. Uh, he's since passed away, uh, gone home to be with the Lord. He said this, he said, I haven't found a happy believer living in sin. And I haven't found an unhappy, obedient believer, no matter the circumstances. Living in sin is misery. And then fear. It is a fearful thing or a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And then God's punishment. That's what's in store in this case. So the question is, why this warning here? Why would you put this kind of a harsh warning to this group of believers uh, who are in such a tough spot. And so I wrestle with that question. What I would say is, listen, if Jesus is our only hope in life and death, if our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we are the Lord's possession, then this is a good warning to say you have one hope. And what you can do is two things. One is you can hold firmly, hold fast to that, hold unswervingly, to that faith that you profess. Or you can profess that faith and just go on deliberately sinning as if it were not true, and there's no hope in that. It's your only hope you want to hold fast to it. That's why this is a good warning. It's not that you can have hope or non-hope. It's that you can have hope or judgment. Cling to the hope. Because the one who made the promises that you hope in is faithful. So it's a harsh warning, but it was not a harsh warning to make them doubt their faith. Verse 39 says, we do, not, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. He said, look, these things I've said, this is not you. We are the ones who are going to persevere. We are the ones who are going to hold to that faith. So what does that faith look like? It looks like uh, verse 32 Remembering the, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you had endured in great conflict and full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other, other times you stood side by so, side with those who were so treated. He said, look, you're going to remember the, the characteristics of this, this hope now that we have, uh, the, this life of hope, hope that's clinging, holding fast to the, to the faith is one that remembers, yeah, God brought me through stuff in the past. And we talk about, especially this week, with Thanksgiving coming up next week, we talk about, oh, count your blessings. Remember all the good things God has done for you. But here it's, don't remember the blessings. Remember the hard times. Remember the traumas. Remember, the, remember, all, that ter- remember all the terrible things, because God brought you through those, and you're still alive. And God will bring you through to the very end. Remember the hard stuff. Because you stood firm then, and you're going to stand firm now. Remember how you focused on others. You st- verse 34 says, you suffered along with those who were in prison. You stood side by side with people who were being persecuted. You did it together. You had each other. That's what it looks like. It looks like remembering the past. It looks like um, being committed to other people. And it looks like indestructible joy. Verse 34 says, um, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you yourselves, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You had indestructible joy. 
They took your stuff away and your joy didn't go away because you knew you had something greater. So you can persevere. So here's how this concludes, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back to finish the work. And his work, and we know he will because he went all the way. He persevered all the way to the cross and gave his life for you and for me. And we know that he will come back and and fulfill all of his kingdom. So we need to be in it for the long haul because we're waiting for the one who, who went all the way. So we need to dig deeper. Not dig deeper, don't dig deeper into yourself to persevere. No, we're going to dig deeper into our faith. We're going, to, we're going to dig deeper, entering more deeply into the rest that Jesus gives us. Let us pray. Father, as we have journeyed through this, these writings, we see that this is your word. We see that there is truth here for us. And I pray that in some way over these weeks, we have found some way to enter more fully into your rest, to find our satisfaction in you. And now, Lord, we humbly ask that we would not be those who deliberately sin and and spurn the good work you've done, but that we would be people who are the ones who have faith and persevere to the end because you are, again, working in our hearts and changing us and leading us in that good path. And, Lord, it's not an easy path. And, Lord, it's not a gentle path. But it's good because you're leading us to good places. And there is good in store. And we trust all of your goodness, Lord. Help us to trust more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.